Bite-Sized Human Geography, a podcast meant for students, their parents, and anyone who wants a better understanding of the world. We investigate global issues using human geography concepts. It's human geography made simple. Hello everyone, my name is Kara Smart and I am so happy that you are here with me today. We are going to be discussing and really finishing our conversation about the global fallout over the coronavirus pandemic and the impact that this will have with the world's relationship with China. This has been a really rapidly developing situation. And even as I've been prepping for this podcast over the past week or so, it seems like the political chessboard is shifting daily. So back in episode five, we had a really, really great discussion on the political and economic background of China vis-a-vis or with regards to its vis-a-vis just kind of a fancy French term meaning with regards to uh, its relationship with the United States. So I want to finish that discussion first by looking at the U.S. relationship with China in the age of Trump and then hypothesizing about the near future. So looking back at the 2016 election, there was one issue that was really the driving force behind the Trump campaign. China, 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 China. (laughs) Okay, so no one can claim that uh, President Trump wasn't really beating the drum about China and outsourcing to China and production in China during the 2016 election. Uh, His main focus, his entire uh, campaign was focused on the fact that the Rust Belt area had declined in the United States due to manufacturing that was pushed overseas. And uh, quite frankly, this is why he won. Uh, He picked up those Rust Belt states uh, because he identified and, and, and and responded to the fact that people were suffering there. And uh, honestly, both he and Bernie Sanders went this route. So it's kind of interesting to see both sides, I'm I'm sorry, opposite sides of the political spectrum focusing in and zeroing in on the same item, which is uh, the eroding manufacturing base in the United States. But he called it in 2016. And once again, I'm a firm believer, and this is the reason why he won. He just really appealed to people that were left out of uh, the economic boom that happened due to you know Silicon Valley expansion and that kind of stuff, uh, those people were just left out. And you just see that in the, the depressed manufacturing capabilities in that entire region. That's why it's called the Rust Belt. So not even a month after his election uh, in December 2016, uh, Trump took a phone call from Chai Ing-wen, who is the president of uh, Taiwan, also called the Republic of uh, China, but Taiwan is how we all know it. And this was really the first time since 1979 that an American president had spoken with the president of Taiwan. And remember what we talked about in our previous podcast episode about that relationship between China, China, Taiwan, and the United States. So when after this was done, there were there were two camps here. One side was horrified at what, what had happened because they knew that it was going to piss off China and could jeopardize some relationships with a relationship with China. But then the other side was elated and thought that this is something that was very long and, and coming and needed to happen and, uh, you know, was very long overdue. But at the end of the day, regardless of either side, what it did is it signaled this policy shift, this tremendous pivot that was going to be um, happening with uh, regards to the Trump administration uh, and China. So over the past few years, in addition to the tariffs that uh, were enacted, uh, you also saw from Congress and actually from both sides of Congress, uh, several bills that came out uh, discussing 
the human rights abuses uh, that were happening in Hong Kong, and also the human rights abuses that are continuing to ongo- uh, ongoing with regards to the Uyghurs in Western China. So although I think you you did see Trump lead this, especially with his election uh, and his approach to, to the Communist Party of China, I think you're going to see more and more both sides of the political aisle in the United States uh, take a completely different pr- approach to China, and their constituents are going to demand it. So concerning trade with China, uh, less trade is inevitable. It's going to happen uh, partly due to the fact that people are just buying less uh, and partly due to the fact that people are out of work. They're, you know, they're seeing their neighbors uh, losing jobs, and, and I think uh, this is inevitable. Um, and I do think that you're beginning to see an anti-China movement that is uh, percolating with regards to people and how their approach will be to purchasing items. So, you know, when I was growing up, there was this campaign, you know, buy American, you need to buy American, it supports American jobs. I think you're going to see a resurgence of that. And uh, quite frankly, I do think it will be uh, it, it will be uh, without political party. I, I think you're going to see everyone kind of push towards that general direction uh, just because we have so many people out of work now. And and really, the, the numbers are staggering. When I started doing research for this podcast, we had 16 million unemployed uh, just yesterday or two days ago when they announced the new unemployment figures. Guys, we have 22 million people um, are unemployed now. And this is from all walks of life, all levels of economic activity. In Texas alone, I, I looked this up, in Texas alone, uh, back in February of, of 2020, so just we're talking two months ago, we had a 3.5% unemployment level in the state that I reside in. Now it's estimated that 1 million people are unemployed in a state with 31 million people. When you are talking about these kinds of numbers, um, this is going to be driving people and their decisions more than anything else. That same force right now that's, you know, I, I just kind of reading stuff online and, you know, p- people are like, you know, go out to eat, go to your local restaurants, go support local businesses. That same mentality will spread to businesses producing products within the United States and manufacturing within the United States because people aren't going to want to see as as benefiting a country that caused the problem. Uh, and you know, some of this may be rational, some of this not may, may be, may not be rational, but it doesn't really make a difference. It is what it is. You know, on, on a side note, I'm not sure if you or anybody that you know close to you has ever been out of work before, or, or maybe, you know, someone in your family is out of work right now, but it's devastating. Most people don't have the type of savings to be able to last months on end without a regular paycheck coming in. And, you know, you don't want to spend any money at all because you don't know when your next, uh, you know, shot of uh, income will be coming in and it's scary. And so you start to uh, reduce your expenses to as much as zero as you, you possibly can. So, uh, you know, and the thing is, isn't this isn't just happening here in the United States. This is happening everywhere, every single country. I, what, there's like 180 countries now that are experiencing this coronavirus. Every single country is now going to be going through this process of massive amounts of unemployment and people aren't going to be spending money, which of course there's that feedback of when people don't spend money, it creates even more issues. And uh, think about, you know, think about this. This is actually, uh, the the more you think about this, the worse it gets. The United States and other uh, MDCs or developed countries, we provide a tremendous amount of aid to LDCs or lesser developed countries or developing countries. 
in the form of all kinds of aid, whether it's food aid or, or aid for schools or any number of different things. And those countries now probably won't be rece- be the recipients of those benefits because the, the people in, in MDCs aren't going to want to see any money leaving. You can't afford to you know, spend money on development in sub-Saharan Africa if you have you know, 20 million people that are unemployed. It won't work that way. So this is going to be another one of these devastating impacts that's going to uh, come from this entire situation. Hundreds of billions of dollars in trade have uh, really just evaporated over the past month. And uh, the bottom line is your societies, your any country can't exist on toilet paper and booze and grocery store transactions alone. So let's circle back for a second and discuss manufacturer, manufacturers, American manufacturers, and their relationship with China. So even before uh, this event, this current event, uh, due to the influence of the tariffs that were being placed, you saw a lot of American manufacturers that were uh, began the process of removing their manufacturing facilities from China and either maybe back to the United States or maybe to Mexico. Many of them went to places like Indonesia. Uh, Hasbro company. Many of you are really familiar with Hasbro. They're the ones that make toys for Frozen and for the Avengers uh, uh, entertainment lines. They said that by um, the end of 2020, that 50% of the toys that they were currently manufacturing would not be made in China anymore. And this is a company that has 5.2 billion, sorry, billion dollars worth, worth of revenues. So that's a substantial amount of business that had left China or was in the process of leaving China even before this. But this is not something that's going to happen overnight. Uh, But the signs are there. The signs are becoming very clear about how this is going to start looking. So uh, just last week, Japan said that they wanted to provide $2 billion for its manufacturers to move from China back to Japan. Uh, And then they also said that they'd provide 100, I'm sorry, $220 million to move from China to any place else. (laughs) So they will their bottom line was, let's get out of China. Now, I don't really have time to go into it, but the relationship between the Japanese and the Chinese is contentious at best due to their histories, their long histories with each other. Uh, but don't forget, Japan has a huge manufacturing base. Uh, they're a very, they have a very impressive economy, a very, very large economy. And so for them to posit this, for them to say, hey, let's get our manufacturing out of China, this is a big deal. Larry Kudlow, who is uh, one of the White House economic advisors, pretty much was saying the same exact thing. You know, let's get as many American industries back to the United States as possible. And of course, this does two things. Uh, but the most important, uh, you know, you're, you're removing ma- American manufacturing, you're reducing those long supply chains, uh, supply lines down to uh, be located in the United States. But the other thing is, is you're hopefully providing jobs for American citizens. Now, it may look totally different, especially because so many of these manufacturing plants are highly automated, uh, but it still gives at least the opportunity to create jobs, uh, even construction jobs and building plants or retooling plants. Uh, that goes a long way to you know providing the shot in the arm to the American economy that you're going to need when you're dealing with 22% unemployment rates. Let's talk about uh, public opinion for a, a few moments. The Washington Post had a poll out just the other day that said 70%, seven, I'm sorry, 77% of the American public blames China for the current situation. And then 71% of uh, people that responded to that poll wants 
uh, American manufacturers to pull back or, or remove themselves from China. And uh, 60, almost 70 percent said that uh, we need to enact tougher trade policies with China. And this is just at the very beginnings of the economic effects of this virus. Uh, as this begins to play out, as more and more people become unemployed, as you begin to see, you know, the long effects of of unemployment. And this is not going to be a a quick turnaround. Unfortunately, it's not going to pop right back up because, you know, a lot of businesses will go out of business permanently. It's, it's, it's not like flipping a light switch. Unfortunately, Uh, it's much, much more complex than that. And, you know, really and truly the likelihood is high that you probably know someone who has been unemployed or furloughed. You probably know somebody that is that way more than who has had the coronavirus just because of sheer numbers here. So uh, the the trend, I think, is going to become even more filled with animosity uh, towards uh, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, I think, than even what we're seeing now. So when I grew up in the dark ages and went to school in the college in the dark ages, uh, my degree was in political science. And of course, with political science, you're really trained on how to look at all issues, all different points of view not just necessarily your own point of view, but really, you know, from a philosophical point of view to understand and appreciate why somebody believes what they do. And so uh, because of that, I really like to look at pop culture and political culture and see why people are thinking what, what they're thinking. And I've found it really interesting over the past week or so to see this movement for uh, what they're calling conscious uncoupling, uh, which is basically that it's time to leave China it's time to leave our manufacturing, uh, you know, move out of China and start holding China financially accountable for what's happened. And so the the one of the people that I was kind of shocked to see this from uh, was Bill Maher, uh, where he was actually, it was a pretty popular video that uh, was making the rounds about addressing the criticisms of, you know, calling this the Wuhan virus. And, you know, we should call it Wuhan virus because it came out of Wuhan, that kind of thing. But I've seen political commentary, uh, both sides of the political aisle, that it's really kind of amazing uh, where both sides are beginning to call for uh, several different items, which are actually just kind of stunning to me. The first is both sides are beginning to call for some political recognition of China. I'm sorry, the Republic of China or Taiwan. And uh, this week, many were calling that they needed to be included in the World Health Organization. And part of this is due to the fact that they haven't been in the World Health Organization because of all of the political wranglings that we discussed back in our previous podcast. Uh, But that the Taiwanese actually had some really great research that they wanted to try and bring forth and uh, be a part of the organization. And of course, they've been blocked by China uh, because of this. Uh, there have been also been some some calls of uh, stripping China of any legal protection with regards to being sued for damages because of the virus. Uh, there have been some calls of uh, removing any some of their leadership roles in international organizations uh, and removing them from you know access to universities. Uh, we have hundreds of thousands of Chinese students that are currently uh, involved in research in the United States universities. And so there have been some calls to restrict some of that. So just realize this is happening on both sides of the political aisle, which tells you the direction that the country is headed because this is what these representatives are beginning to hear from their constituents. I'm also beginning to see some focus now uh, actually renewed focus on the, uh, you know, what's happening with regards to the Uyghurs in Western China. There have been this week, I've seen uh, some broadcasts 
with regards to the African migrant population in China and the, the charges of racism, uh, the, the really kind of abject racism that you're beginning to see um, in China there. There's been some talk about the debt trapping uh, with regards to neocolonialism on the African continent and basically lots of issues that have been around for a long time, those of us that tend to follow geopolitics, but now they're getting attention from main media sources instead of just political journals and that type of thing. But let me just say throughout all this, it's really important that the American public, uh, that you, that me, that we all realize that the issue in all of this, when we say China, it's not the Chinese people. It's This is the Chinese Communist Party that we're talking about here. And we can never forget that China is indeed a communist uh, authoritarian government. And so that's something that I want to just make sure that I put out there that we, we need to make sure this is not about anybody who is from Asia or is is Chinese. This is not has nothing to do with the people there. This has everything to do with the government. And of course, that needs to be the focus uh, from any politician when we discuss this is this is not a question of going after Chinese people. You know, when I was growing up, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when I was growing up, lying was the thing that would set my parents off the most. And it was always a question of, you know, I would rather you tell me the truth about something that you've done, even if it's bad, rather than you lie to me. Because if you lie to me and I find out, <laughs> the consequences would be double or triple of what they would have been if you, uh, you know, if you hadn't have told me the truth or if you would have told me the truth. So uh, I think it's a similar situation when we're looking at uh, with China. It's not just a question of the disease beginning in China. It's a question of the lack of clarity, the lack of truthfulness with regards to the global community, uh, which we're still beginning to uh, kind of peel away the layers of this. And I think that's going to be the main issue for China, kind of pushing themselves and pushing into the future here is how they respond with honesty and truthfulness to the entire situation. But I have a feeling that it may be too little too late. You know, the sad thing is, uh, and just kind of looking forward into the future, it's it's actually a little disconcerting. Wars have been fought for a whole lot less than this. And when you think about, you know, the, the 22 million unemployed here, unemployed here, and the trillions in wealth that has evaporated either in the, you know, the global markets or in global trade, it's deeply concerning about the path forward here. Uh, people are, are, are feeling this uh, in their pocketbooks. They're feeling this in their guts. Uh, they've, they've lost people due to this virus. And I think the anger is just going to continue to grow. I've had, I, I have read some articles uh, regarding, you know, the fact that maybe we are headed for the next Cold War. And unfortunately, I, I really have to think that we might be on that path where instead of the pivot point being the former Soviet Union, the pivot point will now be China. I really hope that this is not the case. Uh, I hope that we're able to work this out and see some uh, changes in China with regards to their openness and their willingness to admit uh, what happened, but I'm not necessarily encouraged just looking upon um, past events with China. But one can always hope and pray for a good outcome here. All right, well, that's all the time that we have for now. 
I'd like to really thank you for being here with me today. Be sure to join me next time when I talk about something that's a bit happier uh, and one of my favorite topics, which of course is food. Please click subscribe to support this podcast and to get the latest updates as they happen. And feel free to email me at bitesizedhumangeo at gmail.com with any questions that you'd like answered. 